Love Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems, which challenge all of us, are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Roth. I'm here with uh, with Rick Schleifer. Say hi, Rick. Hello. Sorry, we've had a little bit of difficulty today, so the show is running about 15 minutes late. Let me uh, tell everyone who we have on the agenda coming up. Tomorrow's show, we have Don Keller, who is the current Rotary president, and he's going to have with him James Burkhead, who is the uh, former Rotary Foundation president. We're going to be talking about what Rotary International does and what the Rotary Club of Cincinnati does. Uh, it should be a really interesting show. Next week, we're going to have just John Westheimer, who is a commercial Cincinnati builder and developer. And on Friday, August 10th, we're going to have uh, Tim Reddick from Intrust, which is an IT company. The following week, we're going to have Ryan Kuyper talk about uh, the mortgage loan business and why it might be a good time to refinance or, or get a new low-rate mortgage. That's always interesting. Now, let me tell everyone a little bit about Rick Slifer. I guess I've known Rick for, say, 20, probably over 30 years. Rick has a lot of experience in building and managing sales organizations and customer service organizations in the telecommunications, IT, and systems integrations industry. He provides uh, senior leadership in both small and large companies with a degree of success in managing mature and national global account sales. New product introductions, uh, building organizations, new account penetration. He's managed total delivery of service, process marketing, sales proposals, implementation, back-end office systems to both federal and state governmental organizations and to Fortune 500 organizations. Rick has held positions of executive management with a uh, carrier that was MCI, wasn't it, Rick? Yes a systems integrator, equipment manufacturer, and has successfully directed the capture effort for many multi-millions and billions of dollars of system programs. That's with the federal government? That's for the yeah, federal government and some of the large enterprise deals we did. Okay. Rick established his own consulting company, Richard A. Slifer and Associates, LLC, in 2005, now commonly known as RASA Consulting, to provide sales and marketing consulting to companies that desire to expand their addressable market and improve their business development and forward marketing processes to increase their sales in the federal marketplace. Additionally, Rick has established a group of six independent associates to provide strategic marketing consulting services for telecommunications operations, transition planning, staff augmentation, support companies, uh, capture management. Now, that's kind of a buzzword, Rick. What, What does capture management mean to you? 
capture management is the business management of a sales process. It not only includes a proposal and the actual selling, but it also includes the, uh, the business case that you wrap around a large sale to make sure that you achieve profitability, uh, that you understand what what the revenue goals are for the program, to uh, make sure that legally you stay lined up with what the company wants you to do, things like that. So it's the overall business responsibility for a sales process. So essentially in in your consulting practice, you're helping large companies with complex sales. That's correct. And these would be of the uh, consulting order of magnitude where – you know, it's a long lead time, million dollar or more uh, transaction. Uh, well, they're, they they vary in size. Some are, are are large compared to the revenues of the companies that uh, are my clients. But we have large clients going after. Well, it's you know, it's like if if you're a twenty million dollar company and you're going after a five million dollar uh, contract with the federal government, that's a twenty five percent uplift to your business if you're successful. Dramatic. That same. Same five million dollar contract may not be as important to a company that's got fifty billion dollars in sales, but nonetheless, five million in this day and age is a pretty significant contract. Most people's books, five million is a substantial contract. Uh, currently, in your in your uh, consulting practice, you you supporting a portfolio of how many companies right now? We currently are supporting six companies, and. You know, that's just at any one point in time. We will we'll support upwards of 15 or 20 companies over the course of a business year. Okay, and you work in the in the world of global networks, cloud computing, IT services, network security, and mobile applications. Is that right? That's correct. Those are uh, you know, mobility is 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 where everything is going right now, even with the federal government. But large enterprise customers and the federal government are looking at a very mobile workforce, not just the uh, telework where people work at home, uh, but also people are expecting when they're on the road uh, doing the, the, the company's work that they'd be able to access exactly the same information as if we were sitting at a desk. So the government and large enterprises are looking at doing that securely, and providing the same access as if somebody were tethered uh, to their desk through an Ethernet connection. They're moving. They're moving the boundaries out. Rick wanted to tell the folks how you got involved in in, in deciding to uh, sell to the federal government and then a consulting company back uh, six years ago, uh, helping people sell to the federal government. Well, I started. My career in sales uh, with the federal government began when I was, I was out on the West Coast. I was working, uh, matter of fact, when you and I were working together, uh, working on the West Coast with an upstart hardware company that was selling communications products, and I was recruited uh, to come back to my hometown of Washington, D.C., and they wanted me to handle both uh, business and government customers. And I had not handled government customers, but they assured me that it would be very easy and that I could make that transition uh, without without a problem. Well, two or three years uh, went by where I sold lots of commercial accounts, but sold no new government accounts. So uh, once we, once I got into that and started working with the Department of Defense and and some of the uh, civilian agencies at the time, uh, the General Services Administration for one, I began to learn what what it took to sell to the government, and that they had big dollars to spend if you were competitive and knowledgeable about their needs, uh, you could be successful. So fast forward uh, uh, probably, let's see, 20 years, and uh, I had 
worked for manufacturers and for carriers and decided uh, when I was faced with another job change uh, because the company that I was working for got procured that I would start my own business instead. We were right at an inflection point in uh, large networks with the federal government, and I thought that my expertise would be useful to a, a broader spectrum of companies than just one. So okay. I hung out my, shing my shingle and, uh, and started work. So when you hung out your shingle, did you already have an account or two to, to bootstrap your business, or, or were you really bootstrapping from scratch? No, I, I, I spent some time, uh, during transition writing a business plan and lining up, uh, lining up people that would be potentially interested. So I, I laid the groundwork and let a few people know that I was, I was going into business. And I put together my business plan so that I would know what it was I was going to offer to those folks. And then when I, I left the company that I was with, when my time ran out there, uh, I walked in the door with my presentation and my, uh, uh, set of, uh, of uh, service offerings that I could provide to these first customers, and and they were it was pretty quick to get those guys in the door, and then after that we had to start marketing and looking for other business. Okay, good, Rick. We're going to take a uh, a short break, and we'll be right back after this uh, commercial. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Raw, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Rick Slifer. You there, Rick? Uh, yes, we've 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 survived another fifteen minutes on this uh, connection that we have. So. Yes, I'm, I'm I'm sweating, and I apologize again to to our listeners if uh, you had difficulty at the beginning of the show. Uh, Rick, why don't you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you after the show is over, uh, if if they have questions or or seek help. Okay. Um, you can reach me. Uh, I have two telephone numbers. Most of the time, it's easiest to reach me on my cell, so I'll give you that number first, Mike. It's 410-971-9725. Uh, my office number is uh, 410-268-4424. Uh, and there's a machine on the second on that number so that if you uh, need to leave a message, I'll get back to you right away. Uh, my email address is uh, rick at rasa consulting all one word dot net that's r-a-s-a-c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g dot net um, and that's that's the easiest email uh, to, to reach me that goes to both my uh, cell phone my ipad and my laptop and everything else that i have that i carry around for doing business okay i usually tell our guests to turn off their uh their pdas cell phones and uh ipads 
because we've had the problem of that in the past, those things beeping during the show and distracting people. So uh, you go into the marketplace uh, six years ago, and now you've developed a, a nice clientele. How are you going to market now to expand your business? Well, we we developed about three years ago. We developed a website, which is uh, www.rasaconsulting.net, and we have uh, we we have a, a, an overview and description of the business and a list of our associates that, uh, that and their skills that you know, brief bios that we have. Uh, we try not to put too much information on the website uh, because we find that. Uh, People need to know generally that you're engaged in sales to the federal government, uh, and and that and that you can help out in a wide array of services oriented towards growing revenues in that marketplace. So that's pretty much the message we want to convey, and a little bit about how you do that. Uh, mm-hmm. The other way we do it is we I have a pretty uh, large network, uh, but I also uh, participate in several industry groups. Uh, which are focused on the federal IT and telecommunications marketplace. Uh, I attend seminars. I've, I've been a speaker. Uh, you know, I, I pretty much have the same, if you will, public relations exposure I had when I was an executive with MCI, just that I now have to generate it all on my own. I don't have a staff person that calls me up and says, hey, we, we want you to speak at this breakfast or lunch about it. So you do free talks. I do. Oh, I do free talks, and uh, right now uh, there's a new government program coming out in the next oh, 18 months or so. And I'm for the industry group that I belong to. I'm I'm leading the task force that's assisting the federal government in developing the requirements. It's a group of industry, 20 industries, uh, 20 companies in this industry group that all have an interest in this program. And the government does market research, and uh, groups like this are solicited to uh, help the government understand what the needs might be in the future. So I volunteered to lead that and uh, because it's a program that I've participated in in the past. Okay. And uh, that industry is uh, telecommunications and computing? This particular one is, is it's, boy, it's, it's got to be the hybrid, Mike. It's going to be the, the whole, uh, you know, starting with the telecom and then moving through mobility and Talking about cloud computing and the security that surrounds those needs, and then all the other uh, IT requirements that are going to need a network to uh, uh, distribute information. The government is, is very much focused on uh, getting information to the right place, the right people, and the right time. And uh, so they're starting to look at these things more strategically and, and less uh, like uh, you know the, the wires that make the lights work or uh, Things like that. So this is uh, more through the uh, GSA than through individual agencies. Well, eventually the individual agencies will be the customers, but the General Services Administration is running this procurement, and it's, it'll probably wind up being a, uh, over the life. It'll be a ten-year procurement, in all probability. It'll probably be fifteen or twenty billion dollars by the time it's all done. Wow! And uh, this is something that only large-scale. Telecommunications giants could participate in, or can smaller players along the uh, cloud computing vendors along the backbone of the internet also participate? Well, these procurements are are designed so that agencies can find a whole menu of solutions to uh, fit their needs. And hardly there's hardly any one company that provides 
all of it. And so there's a necessity for teaming to, to get the necessary expertise so that when you, when you go to market, uh, with your service offerings, you, you get a, you can get an A plus from any agency. So where, uh, a prime contractor may be very good at, at networking, uh, they may not be, uh, the outstanding player in providing servers for doing cloud computing. So companies, in order to improve their chances of winning, will team with as many top players as they can to, uh, in order to provide the best profile to the government customer. All right. So smaller companies, smaller companies very often get their start by being on teams like this where they, they get access to the contract and they go out and they act as if they were selling for themselves, but they're really selling for the team so that they can get a part of the business as well. So they, you know, they are, their marketing effort they're out there and they say, oh, by the way, I'm on Company A's team for, or Company X's team uh, for this contract, and uh, you can buy my services through through that contract. Okay, and in, in, in that circumstance, would there be any advantage to a minority contractor? Well, there's there's a whole group of of of, of uh, what they call set aside contractors or small business contractors. Uh, there's minority owned, there's, uh, service disabled veteran, uh, there's Native American, um, there's, uh, Alaska Native American, there's, uh, what they call hub zone, which are disadvantaged ge- geographies where companies have an advantage. And, and the, the Congress has, uh, determined that in order to, uh, promote small business, that, uh, there needs to be these, uh, categories of businesses. And the agencies are required to set up for uh, uh, a percentage of the amount of business they award uh, to, to these small businesses. So the Department of Defense is very active in promoting small business, as are all the other large agencies that spend a lot of money on IT and telecom. So it's a it's a program to uh, to get more innovation and and more uh, small businesses into the government marketplace. And the government finds out that they're Response times don't go down. Their cost of doing business does not go up, they, and they get very good quality products from small business people. So I always encourage small businesses that you don't need to be a giant to be in the federal business. You just have to understand what the buying opportunities are. So do you help uh, your? Uh, you take on clients that are smaller companies that are looking to do business in in the federal gov- in the federal marketplace, and they are. Uh, I'm going to call them minority contractors for one of the protected uh, groups. Well, yes, I do. I have, I've, I've helped um, one one business story, which I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. We when I first started, my one of my first clients was a small business. Um, he was doing, I think, under three million uh, when when I joined when when he hired me as a consultant to help him with his business development. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first year, we partnered partnered him up. It was a minority-owned company. We partnered him with a service-disabled veteran company, and they bid on VA business. It was a pilot project for Mm $800,000, and eventually it turned into a contract that was worth well over $5 million. Well, today that company is probably doing $25, $27 million in business five years later, and and they've taken advantage successfully, and they've been successful in performing on 
probably over $125 million worth of government contracts over that period of time. So it's like pretty, wild pretty change. Uh, it's a well. They've done very well. They've they've built success on their success, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to continue to work with them and to try to help them find new opportunities and take new approaches to uh, new parts of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. What should a company budget for services for a company like yours? Well, how we, do they do that? We recently gave a proposal to a company. Uh, um, that's not in Washington. They're they're uh, located in the southeast, and they they ask the same question, Mike. They uh, they have two people that they want to uh, uh, focus on the federal government. One will focus on the Department of Defense, and the other one will focus on civilian on the civilian side of government or the, the Department of Homeland Security, things like that. Uh, we suggested to them that the first couple of months would be understanding their business, uh, doing some market research on what. Uh, the government will be spending in what areas for uh, their services, mm-hmm. uh, doing some training. So the first couple of months, we estimated that they'd be spending with us between seven and ten thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. But we said after that, with experienced salespeople, uh, we would we would mentor them and and probably at a, a much less rate than that. And then, then they could engage us when they had proposals to do and they needed help with the strategy on the proposals and preparing the proposals for submission to the government. So it's, it's difficult to say. Some companies put in a one-year program, and I tell them they could expect to spend on market research, business development, uh, sales consulting between fifty and $70,000. Uh, but other companies say, well, we've got to start. We've got a couple of government customers. Can you help us improve upon what we're doing? And we say, yeah, we can do that on an hourly basis as well so that they have a special project they want to focus on. They bring us in, we charge them an hourly rate, and that way they can they can manage their spend and keep it focused on really important programs. Well, it's important that there are multiple ways to uh, to work with you. Um, uh, in, the, in the next couple of minutes of this segment, Rick, maybe you can tell us tell our audience about the most interesting uh, non-IT or telecom deal that you've uh, been involved with? Well, I, th- I think I, I told you this story once. I was uh, I was on vacation in my, so my my third year in the business, and I had taken, I think, one vacation at that point. And I was down golfing with another consultant down in Hilton Head, and we were sort of a kind of a busman's holiday. We were trying to plan how we were going to go after a particular piece of business together, and we were in a place where cell phones didn't work very well, except in this one particular area of the, of the golf course. And it was on a Friday afternoon, and my phone rang, and it was an overseas company who called me uh, on recommendation of somebody in Washington. And they said, we've got a problem. We uh, we're, we have a, uh, a no-bid contract that we got for the Army, from the Army, for trucking. And, uh, you know, drainage. And, uh, and we've had this contract for three or four years and it was, the contract was originally done under exigent circumstances. In other words, the, the government didn't have time to run a formal procurement. But that the what Army... You and call the, that provisioners who might not be familiar with that word. Exigent. They were getting shot at and they needed to get material to the troops. Okay. Uh-huh. They needed somebody to truck, truck material into Afghanistan. Uh, and, uh, so they had a, basically they had a handshake contract 
And uh, the government, after things calmed down, needed to convert that. Secretary Gates, Department of Defense, uh, wanted to convert some of these contracts to, you know, more permanent contracts. So they said, we just received in the mail a 130-page RFP, and we have no idea what to do with this. And I said, well, when do they say the date due is? And the guy said, oh, I didn't know there was a date due on it. I said, well, there usually is. It's on the front page in the upper right-hand corner. And he looked at it. He said, oh, my gosh, it's due in six days. It's due next Thursday. Mm-hmm. So we we talked about it a little bit. He uh, he FedExed it to my hotel, and uh, I got it the next morning, and I called him back. And I we first thing we did was we worked with the government to give him an extension so he, he could have an opportunity to prepare his proposal. And then what we did was we worked through it page by page. He was the trucking expert, and I told him, you need to get answers to all these trucking questions and if you can meet all these standards that the government has for truckers, and uh, and I'll help you with the terms and conditions. And we worked through all of those things. And then when we got down to the pricing, we went through the pricing and matched up what he was charging the government already with how the government wanted him to price. And we worked with a contracting officer to... to to modify how the government was asking for things to better meet the business uh, uh, methodologies this customer had. So in the end, he uh, he, he won the business. Uh, uh, he got a real education on the federal business in a period of over about three weeks. Um, the contracting officer had a uh, an excellent provider and uh, to continue providing support for the Army uh, in a very critical time. So in other words, but, he won uh, back the contract he had on an exclusive basis in a competitive bid. Exactly. Your help. And it was, it was, yeah, he was, uh, he was a happy guy. His bosses were saying, how come we have to do this all over again? And, and he said, well, we never did it the first time. We just got the business. And so anyway, it, it worked out. The government had somebody under the, you know, under a, a contract that met the federal acquisition regulations and, uh, and they've been performing ever since. That's a fantastic story, Rick. What we're, do, we're going to do is we're going to listen to a uh, Sam LaRue, and then we'll be right back with Rick Slifer. I'm Jody Williamson with Sandler Training. I'm here today to talk about rule number 41. There are no bad prospects, only bad salespeople. You know, whatever's happening in your accounts is your responsibility. And, and one of the things that we see is salespeople... Well, they tend to externalize their problems, and they tend to blame the economy or the marketplace, the competition, uh, the marketing. You know, there's always something they're blaming. And when they get into a prospect, they can tend to blame the prospect for why they didn't buy. You know, they'll say things like, "They just don't get it," or "They don't buy value; they only buy on price." You know, if, if you hear that, you know, we don't buy we don't buy on value; we only buy on price. Who's, whose fault is that, really? It's a salesperson. That's why the salesperson has a job, is to sell value. And one of the reasons this happens is, I think we live in a victim culture. People tend to, for whatever reason, blame things. They slip on a sidewalk and they sue the homeowner, as opposed to saying it's their fault. And so it's not unusual for people to make these excuses, but, but, we, but we have to fight it in sales. Because until we take responsibility, we're never going to be truly successful. So the next time you get a no, don't say, you know, the prospect didn't get it, or I, we had a personality conflict, or they, they only buy on price. Ask yourself the question, what could I have done differently? 
in, and here's a, here's a challenge I'll give you. For 30 days, write down all your self-talk, all the things you tell yourself, because we all talk to ourselves, right? And write down all the, all the excuses you're making for lack of results. And I would challenge you to strive to live with a no-excuse mindset. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Rick Slifer. Sabla Espanol, Rick. <laughs> well, un poquito. Un poquito. Okay. So, uh, let's, uh, let's move on with another question. Uh, one of the typical biggest mistakes that company make, make when they bid on federal or state, uh, contracts and RFPs? Well, there's, there's several. Um, there are, there are certainly opportunities to have uh, short-term sales success with the federal government, but long-term success is predicated on a timeline that uh, requires you to uh, be a little more patient with the federal marketplace than with, with commercial sales. Um, we we tell our customers that you, know, you you get your sales guys out on the street knocking on doors. You're going to close a deal here and there because the government can make small purchases without doing a lot of formal contracting work. They can if they if they um, if they need something and you're the only source of that of that product. If they uh, need something that's common, say like a barcode scanner, would they ever go out for something like that on a non-competitive bid? They may. Uh, but the likelihood is something like that when they did their market research, which is required by law, they would find out that there's a hundred guys out there who will provide it for the same price that you do. The, the important thing to do in, in, in marketing, uh, to the federal government is to recognize that, that you need to sell your, your abilities and you need to understand what the, the targeted government customer wants to buy and why they want to buy it. Uh, needs-based selling in the federal government is, is, is as important because when you get to the large RFPs, if you don't understand what problem the government is trying to solve, it'll come through loud and clear in the way you write your proposal. Um, and, and that's, that's really a, a real critical factor. You know, there's, you know, everybody thinks of business development as a combination in the commercial side of the world of, of, of of understanding who your customers are and merger and acquisition activity and, and things like that. In the government marketplace, it's finding out what the programs are going to be, what the needs of the government are, and the reason why they're putting out that program, how much funding is there available, uh, providing information about products or services to the government that will enable them to understand what the future is going to bring for technology because nobody wants to buy obsolete technology and things like that. When you get into the sales cycle, when, when the government actually solicits bids, uh, by the time you've had several conversations with the agency that's doing the buying, you understand what it is they're asking for, and you can read the RFP, request for proposal intelligently, and, and understand how your company has to respond. So I'd say that the, the probably the, the biggest mistake that, that companies make going after the federal government is is misjudging the timeline. But the other thing that they think is that the government buys things like they buy off of the catalog all the time. And then while they do have a catalog called the GSA schedule, there's an awful lot of needs-based selling that has to take place with the federal government. And um, there, there are people living in big houses all around Washington to sell the federal government that understand that, just like there's people 
in Detroit to sell at General Motors and live in big houses because they understand needs-based selling. Good. Now, if any callers, anyone's listening, and I hope a few people are, uh, and you want to call in and ask, ask Rick Slifer a question, the number is 646-595-4916. We'll be talking to you during the next commercial break. That was, again, 646-595-4916. Uh, Rick, in your opinion, you know, what are the opportunities and possibilities in doing, attempting to do business with the federal and state governments? Well, the, you know, all the, all the things about the economy are absolutely true and, and that's what, what is facing all of our government, uh, uh, all of our government these days. However, what, you probably noticed, Mike, that, for instance, with Social Security and the uh, Medicare, Medicaid folks, that they're automating things a great deal. Um, mm-hmm. The Social Security workforce is approximately the same today as it was 10 years ago, but they're serving a lot more people. The boomers are retiring. And the reason they're able to do that is that they've built websites that enable self-service. Uh, they have chats, sessions that you can do with Social Security uh, customer service agents. The same is true with the IRS. They're doing more and more with self-service, and, and they're they're spending money on technology to reduce the need for people. Uh, they're they're uh, or so they can repurpose people to higher level jobs. The, the government's going to grow naturally uh, just to support an increasing population, but if they can limit that growth, they save a lot of money. Um, so when you look at things like automated toll booths. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, being able to pay your taxes electronically. All those things required a technology company to come up with an idea and a solution and um, adapt it to the requirements of the federal government. So, you know, while the, you know, the, the, the budget that's suggested for 2014 or 2013, excuse me, is um, 7% lower in the federal government for IT spending, uh, and that's before they do the next round of budget cuts and things like that. Um, they're still going to spend probably upwards of $85 billion on IT, and that's just in pure IT. That doesn't count the things that are embedded in tanks or airplanes or, or, or other things that the mm-hmm. government utilizes. Well, most, most of our clients aren't going to be selling the government tanks and airplanes. No, but they'll be Maybe airplane the, engines. Right. But then you have government agencies that are all over the country that are servicing our citizens, uh, the Park Service people, the Forest Service, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, things like that. Uh, they're buying, uh, you know, they're buying a, a variety of things, and a lot of it is local. They're buying telephone services. They're buying laptops. They're buying cell phones. They're buying um, desks and chairs, and they're subscribing to delivery services and things like that. So those things make the they make the government go around and yeah, there is one company here in Cincinnati that's made its mark by selling computer systems to the government. Oh yeah. I believe, well, believe it's owned by a Filipino. Mhm. Uh well it's it's interesting how people have figured out how the government wants things packaged and they negotiate deals with multiple suppliers and they provide packages more inexpensively to the government than the government could do it themselves. Uh, and they usually have a service or some value add that they provide in addition to just the hardware or the software. 
that enables them to provide an attractive package that the government, when they when they look at the total cost of ownership of that package, it's much less than what the government can do it for themselves. The same is true with outsourcing um, uh, functions. Uh, the there's a managed services in the IT world. There's many government agencies that have their uh, help desks managed by companies that specialize in just providing help desk services to the uh, computer users in the agency. Okay. So that, that kind of service gets outsourced as well. Let's take a uh, another break here, Rick, and uh, maybe at, during a break someone would call in and we'll be able to take a call. Uh, okay. let's, let's listen to a, a story about turkeys, turtles, and eagles. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Imagine you just left your prospect's office, and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Rick Slifer. Uh Rick, let's change subjects and gears a little bit, and maybe you can... Uh Tell the uh, listeners in the audience what kind of market research they ought to do before they decide to go after federal government or state government business in a big way. Well, Mike, that's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of information out there about how the government is uh, spending its money. Um, it ranges from a, 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 a bulletin board that posts all of the uh, requests for proposal uh, RFPs uh, and all the actions that they've taken to actually buy things. So you get an idea of, of, of who is buying what from whom. Uh, there are, uh, there are databases of, uh, information about business cases that the government agencies must file with the, uh, Office of Management and Buzz to make sure that what they're buying is not duplicated someplace else. Uh, there's, there's a just 
huge amounts of information there. As a matter of fact, there's a whole industry uh, around packaging that information for different companies that that need to go that want to go after the federal marketplace intelligently. Uh, we provide those services to our clients uh, when they're looking at specific opportunities and they want to know the background and, and how much has been spent in the past, who the competition might be, uh, what might be the, the technical parameters of what they're trying to buy, uh, has Congress approved the money uh, for that program, things like that. And we do that extensively for our clients, but on a boutique basis. But there are services out there that provide that in a broad general sense, so you can look at the entire government marketplace for your particular service or your particular industry, and you can really understand where the government's going and going forward. When you're dealing with as much money as we're talking about in IT and telecom, or if you look at any other product or service out there, like you know, boots for the Army or, or canned fruit for uh, the commissaries or anything like that, it, it's the dollars are big enough that it's very important to do your research so that you understand how much money is programmed for the current budget year and who is going to spend it. So you focus your marketing efforts and spend your proposal dollars wisely. Mm. And uh, is this something that people can just Google? Uh, it's a little more difficult than Google. There's plenty of public sources out there, but you, you need to know, you know, you, you need to, um, one of the services we provide to our clients is, is help them put together a program of, identifying those sources and, and then assigning somebody in the business or at telling the salespeople that that's a regular part of their job is to access those um, public sources and bring down the information into a spreadsheet so they can summarize it to uh, something that's usable for building their pipeline or creating a forecast or creating a sales call plan uh, for going out and seeing these customers that, that have money to spend in your particular uh, industry. Okay. Um, in terms of people doing business who want to do business with the federal government, should they be uh, spending a lot of money on web search optimization? Does the federal government actually go out to the web to look for vendors? Boy, that that is a... Once again, that's a great question, Mike. Um, I've been accused the, of that a lot. Yeah, it it is. You know, the government. Uh, one of the the things that uh, is a requirement under the federal acquisition regulations is that the government must do market research when they're look, looking at new programs or new services. They need to. They're 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 required to research and find out who can provide those services. And 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 with the web. Uh, being the, the tool that it is, they, they use the web extensively to find out who the heck they are and, and, and what you do. Um, they, they also, they, they also use it for research on, on products. You know, they look for white papers and things like that as well. So, um, I think the people in the, uh, in the staff ranks of, of the government probably, uh, are as adept at using search engines as, as anybody in the world to find out, you know, how they can intelligently spend, you know, five, ten, a hundred million dollars on a program and make sure they get all the, the top players to the marketplace. We always encourage our clients to, uh, set up a tab in their website that would take them straight, take a, somebody straight to a federal page where they can identify the services that, that they provide to the federal government or could provide to the federal government and how uh, 
how they can reach their federal sales rep or or their sales agent if they're not using direct representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which only brings me uh, to the question of how do you pick a consultant to work with if you want to uh, uh, sell to the federal government? Because that that's something strange. Uh, what types of different consultants are there? Well, there's there's ones whose first name begins with R. And that's that's my favorite one, of course. Anyway, yeah, like but, like uh, Rick. Yeah, right. Um, there are several different types of of uh, government consultants. Uh, the type that most people would think of are the people that have um, technical expertise in very specialized areas. Um, you know, for instance, uh, nuclear science might be might be one that uh, maybe the Navy brings in occasionally, or maybe somebody that's an, an expert on underwater sound waves. Uh, you know, maybe the Navy has experts in that, but they bring somebody in from the university. So that's a technical consultant. Uh, next might be a consultant that has specific domain knowledge. Um, give you an example of that. Um, there, there are many, uh, once, once somebody retires from the government, they have a cooling off period, but after they've on a year or so, or, or so uh, and they're looking for work, oftentimes they will become an expert on the Department of Agriculture or and what their mission is or, or the uh, Department of the Interior or something like that. So they're, they basically understand the inner workings of an agency and how they want to do business. So a company wanted to select somebody, wanted a consultant to help them understand that agency, they would go after somebody with domain knowledge. And then the third type is is somebody like me who has built a career on understanding how to do business development, sales, marketing, and capture business in the federal marketplace. And while I have domain knowledge of several agencies, um, it's probably not as deep as somebody that worked there for 30 years, um, but I can find out about how they buy things, and, and I can help clients uh, build a program to sell to a particular agency or to sell across a broad number of agencies. That's kind of the three areas that uh, that I look at when I think of federal consultants. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of federal consultants to look to choose from? Well, there are. There's, a, you know, you have the companies like Accenture who, you know, have a broad uh, Based management consulting practice with federal being an important part of that. Uh, so there's, there's those types of companies. As far as independent, uh, independent operators, yeah, there's quite a few. Uh, we never seem to run into each other very much, but we, you know, cause, so there, there's, it's not like, uh, there's, it's, there's probably not more than enough, but there's, there's certainly, it's not an overcrowded field because it requires a certain amount of expertise and knowledge uh, to uh, to help somebody, you know, jumpstart their their federal sales practice, either to get into the business or to expand into new areas of the federal business. So this may sound like a funny question, Rick. Can a company that does most of its sales via telemarketing in the IT cloud computing space actually uh, penetrate the federal government? You know, not in the sense that you might think of in the commercial world. Where people have been successful using inside sales reps 
have been where they have a, a schedule, a, con, a catalog with the General Services Administration uh, that's called a GSA schedule. And they're selling commoditized products uh, that are repeat sales. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. Uh, you know, Cisco sells a lot of routers to the federal mm-hmm. government for data networks. Sure. Um, and, uh, but there's somebody that has to sell the cables. And for some reason or another, cables is one of those things where people buy more and more just because cables disappear or they get stepped on or chairs roll over them or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's, there are folks, there are inside sales reps that call known government IT buyers that are repeat customers and 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 say, okay, it's September, it's the end of the budget year, we're running a special on the uh, RJ something or another cable, and uh, they can they can close those orders over the phone. Okay, as only because it's on a GSA schedule, and it's really a, a, a limited uh, amount. GSA, yeah, GSA, and it's and, and it depends on the product, what the dollar value is, what the limit is on dollar value, but there are other government contracts that have a similar provision ability to buy like that and the states can even buy through some of these contracts the federal government has permitted the states to utilize these contracts as well for instance the GSA schedule is approved for use and I believe it's 25 or 30 states where they can actually are authorized to utilize those to buy supplies and services Uh, but uh, but there's you know that's that's a, it's a, it's a pretty specialized niche to be able to be an inside salesperson and sell to the Fed, but it can be done. And it can be done very effectively and very profitably. So how long would it take for a company to get a GSA schedule who, who doesn't have one? Okay, assuming that they listen to their consultant's advice and they start small, and that is they get, you know, two or three products that they know that they can sell in quantity to the Fed. Mm-hmm. And so they keep their application simple initially. It'll take between five and nine months to get a GSA schedule. We always advise to go with your big sellers and go after the schedule with a smaller uh, uh, number of products or services because then it's easier to get your schedule initially and then add to it once you have it. And go back so- and add you know, add other products or other services to it. Okay, and how easy is it? What, what kind of hoops does, does, does someone have to jump through to get a uh, a product or a service on a GSA schedule? Well, the government always wants to be your best customer. Um, and what they, what they require you to do is to, once you agree to a price point for your product, if you lower the price point, to your commercial customers for that um, same the same service, mm-hmm. uh, they they expect you to lower the price to the government as well. Um, so you know the the government always wants a slight discount from what you give your best customer that's similarly situated that's buying the same volume. That that means that you have to have sales practices for your business across the board where you know what you're selling things for. So that's one of the hoops you have to jump through is you have to be able to demonstrate to the government that your your prices are are have a commerciality 
that's reflected in how you approach the rest of the marketplace. And then if the government suspects that you're selling it to uh, Walmart, quantity one at a dollar, and you're selling it to the government at two dollars, you better have reasons for doing that. So okay. those are the kinds of things you need to you need to look at your business practices. And a lot of people, I mean, there's 70,000 companies that have GSA schedules that have figured that that's worth it. Hmm. That's a big number. Big number. Uh, should a, a a company that's interested in doing business with the government have a dedicated sales team for government accounts? Depends. Um, if you're if you're talking about complex sales, um, and then then yes, it should be a, a, a separate sales force because the way the government expresses its needs and the rules of of how they buy and and get get very complex. Uh, the more complex the sale. If but there are many companies that have been successful with having a dual purpose sales force um, in in going after government business i think it i think it you know if you're selling uh, if you're selling tires for large construction vehicles i think you could probably have a dual person purpose sales force because you're dealing with something that has there there are standards that control how things are made they you know the the government's buying the same caterpillar tractor as as a uh uh, road construction company and so on and so forth. So I think that you have some similarities there. Um, but when you get into system sales where you need to understand the business problem that the government is trying to solve, there's not many people that are out there in industry that are similar to the IRS. Uh, yeah. or the, or the VA or the Social Security Administration. So, so, let, so let's pretend we, we've only got a couple of minutes left here in the show, Rick. Uh, is is there a difference between selling to the military and selling to through GSA, or is that synonymous? Well, again, as you move up the complexity chain, okay, where if you're selling services that support the warfighter, you know, the guys that are overseas in Iraq or Afghanistan, places like that, um, if you're selling technology products, it become they become more and more specialized, less and less off the shelf uh, when you get into certain things that the Department of Defense does in order to provide support for our troops around the world. Um, and that requires sometimes a special knowledge of, of the mission of the Department of Defense and the and the military services. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different mission than what the Department of Interior has in managing our resources and our parks and and, and making sure that um, that those 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 assets of the United States are protected. It's a whole different world. Now there are people that move back and forth. I'll give you an example: the the um, somebody selling a technology product that's um, like a router or a hub or a telephone that can move back and forth between the two marketplaces. But when you get into applications of technology and software where there's going to be special rules based on the mission that it's going to satisfy, you tend to see a, a split where some people specialize in the Department of Defense and other people specialize in, 
in civilian agencies. Good, good. So before we wrap up, Rick, any uh, any last comments? Well, it's you know, there's a there's kind of a joke in the uh, in the federal sales market that the farther you get away from Washington, the least the chief financial officers understand the federal marketplace. Um, if you're if you're if you're a business and you're going to pursue the federal marketplace, uh, you know, regardless of where you are, um, you 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 need to have a thorough understanding of the marketplace. It's easy in Washington because the likelihood is your neighbor is going to work for the federal government and you understand what he does and you understand how complicated his job is. When you when you get out further you know further away from Washington, it's less likely that you have that exposure. So if you're going to start the business, you need to understand what what part of the market you want to go after. Uh, which of your services or products that you want to sell and have a clear picture of a business plan with some reasonable goals uh, that you can sell to your company in order to, to get their blessing on, on expanding business and going after that. If you're the owner of the business, you're a small business, uh, you need to understand what opportunities there are to partner with larger companies to go after business and 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 then look at the investments going to be required and, and and go for it. The returns can be very very good, but it's a it's 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 a market that you need to understand a little bit before you go uh, plunging in. And uh, people like me are here to help. Good, Rick. Why don't you tell uh, our listeners again how they can get a hold of you on the phone? Um, for my cell phone is four one zero nine seven one nine seven two five. My office phone, which is uh, where I am about 10% of the time is 410-268-4424. My uh, email address is rick at rasa, R-A-S-A, consulting, all one word, dot net. Rick, thanks for joining us, uh, for spending some time with us. I'm going to be giving you a copy of uh, the newest uh, Sandler book, The 11 Sandler Success Principles. It's been uh, number one on the Amazon bestseller list and uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller list. And, Rick, thanks again for joining us. Scott, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.